I've chosen to use this account of the birth of Jesus as the one that we would look at tonight. Uh, tomorrow, Pastor Jason's actually going to be talking on the same subject of what's so special about Jesus, but looking at some of the other texts in the New Testament that speak about his birth and his ministry and his uniqueness. And so these two messages will really uh, dovetail together. I'd like to read for us uh, what Matthew records in chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. He says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful account of the birth of your son Jesus as he entered into our world. We stand in amazement at what you did that night. And we read these words that are so familiar to us, and I pray that tonight as we think about them and walk through this passage, that they would really have a freshness, a newness to us as we think in amazement again at all that you accomplished in sending your Son to be our Savior. Speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. Amen. In the year 1982, all of England was waiting for the birth of a child who would one day be the King of England. His name was Prince William Arthur Philip Lewis, and he was born on June 21, 1982. He would be called the Prince of Wales, and now lately also known as the Duke of Cambridge. And he was born to Prince Charles and the late Princess Diana. That's quite a lot of names for one so small, isn't it? To have that kind of handful of names strung together for this tiny baby boy. And when he was born, he was born in the finest of hospitals, St. Mary's Hospital in London, with the very best of care, and all of the world was literally watching the news for details of his birth. It is quite a contrast to the birth of Jesus, the one that we meet to worship tonight. When we think about Jesus' birth, he was born in humility, coming to Bethlehem, the place of his household, the household of David, to be born there. And yet, as we know, there was no room for him to even be born in an inn. Instead, he was born in the humble stable at the back of an inn that was probably a cave, a cave in which the animals, the livestock, were kept. And he was laid into a manger, a feeding trough that became his crib for that night. 
He was born in obscurity. There weren't a lot of people watching and waiting for him that night when he arrived. It would only be a few shepherds who heard the announcement of the angels, and then later the wise men who were following a star. He was born in humility and obscurity. He came into this world so humbly, and yet he would be called the King of all kings and the Lord over all lords. And when Matthew writes this gospel to tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ, his purpose in writing is to show us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the King of Israel who came in fulfillment of all these scriptures that were written over hundreds of years predicting and announcing His birth. He is more than a human king. He is indeed the Son of God and the Savior for all mankind. And so Matthew in the first two chapters of his gospel really introduces these themes that are going to carry on throughout his whole gospel. That Jesus is the King. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He has come to establish His kingdom upon our earth. He broke into our world to establish righteousness and peace and to bring salvation to all who would place their faith in Him. And what stands out in the story that Matthew tells over and over again is the uniqueness of Jesus. There is no one else like Him. And tonight I want to highlight simply a few of those points that Matthew makes. Number one, Jesus is unique in his birth. And we see that in verses 18 through 20. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Matthew tells the story from uh, Joseph's point of view and includes some of the details that he would have found out about Joseph's life. Luke also tells of the birth of Christ, but he shares the details of Mary's thoughts and how she looked at the birth of this one who was coming into our world. And the text tells us here that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. In those days, a girl could be pledged to be married as young as 12 years old. The marriage would not take place for a year or more as the man would go back to prepare a room, a house for his bride. And then he would come and take his bride to be with him and the marriage would be consummated. And that's why we believe that Mary was probably a teenager at this time when she gave birth to Jesus. And can you imagine that? I mean, those of you who have teenagers, you know, who have gone through those years when you think about it, how God the Father would entrust to one so young this precious gift of His Son. The engagement period that they were in is like our engagement period in a sense, but it is stronger, it is more binding. In those days when there was a betrothal and this covenant was made to one another, it could only be broken by divorce. And so when it became apparent that Mary was pregnant in this time when they were to be faithful to one another, Joseph could not in good conscience marry her. And being a righteous man, he wanted to put her away quietly. He was compassionate about it. He did not want to insist on the letter of the law and bring a charge against her. He wanted to do this quietly. We can understand his thoughts. Mary probably told him what had happened the announcement of the angel and what the angel had said to her, and yet we can understand Joseph struggling to believe this. 
I mean, how could this be? Nothing like this has ever happened. A virgin birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was being asked to believe a lot here. And that is exactly when God intervened. God gave to Joseph the light that he needed at just the right time. God would send an angel to Joseph who would also share with him exactly what had happened. When I think about our own lives, how many times does God come to us too at just the right time with an answer to prayer, with His provision for us, or with the direction and guidance that we need? He operates just like that in our world too, although often not as dramatic as this, is it? But God comes to us at just the right time with the word that we need from Him if we are waiting and watching. Corey Tenboom tells this story of when she was a young child. Her father taught her an important lesson about God's provision. Her dad said to her one day, Corey, when we take the train ride up to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And Corey said, well, just when I'm about to get on the train. And he said, that's right. He said, if I gave you the ticket beforehand, you might lose it. And you don't really need it, do you? And so it is with God. He gives us just what we need when we need it. And maybe you are waiting upon God for wisdom or direction or provision. And God often waits to that eleventh hour, doesn't He? Just when we need it, He comes through and He provides time and time again. In Joseph's case, the answer came when God sent an angel who appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. Joseph would hear the words of the angel, and he would understand that it is true what Mary had said to him. That Jesus' birth is indeed unique. He was born of a virgin, just like Isaiah the prophet would foretell so long ago. Some 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet would be led by the Spirit of God to write those words. But why is the virgin birth important? Why is it even necessary? Michael Wilkins, in his commentary on this passage, gives us four reasons. And he tells us that the virgin birth points to the divine nature of Jesus, that he is indeed God in human flesh. The virgin birth speaks of one person in whom are united this full deity and full humanity. He is truly God and he is truly man. That's a mystery. That is something that is very difficult for us to explain or comprehend, and yet we see it told so simply and clearly here in the Scripture that united in one person is this one who is truly God, yet truly man. The virgin birth singles Jesus' true humanity without inherited sin. It helps us to understand how Jesus could be that perfect sacrifice for our sins the one who would die in our place. And the virgin birth is also the beginning stage of the redemption 
of humanity from the effects of sin. It is still a mystery, and we stand in wonder at awe at what God would do in sending Jesus to be His Son. But the virgin birth is a necessary part of understanding who Jesus is and what He came to accomplish for us. Secondly, Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus is unique in His mission. The angel went on to tell Jesus, I mean, to tell uh, Joseph that Mary would give birth to a son. And remember, this is before the days of ultrasounds when people really didn't know if they were going to have a, a baby boy or a baby girl. And so this word that he was going to be a son would even be a sign in itself. And he was to give him the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? It is because He will save His people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. It means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. His name reflects His mission. It reflects why He came. The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. For many, many years they had anticipated His coming. But their expectations were more political expectations. They thought that when the Messiah came, He would overthrow Rome and He would cast off their oppressors and He would reestablish the kingdom in Israel, the kingdom of David. But God knew that our deepest need was greater than that. Our deepest need was spiritual. It was our sin that separated us from God and so He sent to us a Savior. One writer put it like this. He said, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Victor Hugo tells this story in his book called 93 where he tells of a ship that was caught in a terrible storm at sea. And as the waves crashed upon the ship, the ship was rocking back and forth, being tossed about. And the sailors heard this dreadful noise below. Deep within the ship, a cannon had come loose. And with every rocking of the ship, it was being tossed about below and slamming against the sides of the ship. They knew that the danger was severe, that if that cannon broke through the walls of that ship, all would be lost and they would perish at sea. And so two men risked their lives to go down below and as they descend into the ship, they discuss the fact that the danger within is greater than the storm without. And after many tense minutes of struggle, they managed to lash the cannon safely to the deck. In our own life, the outer storms do not bring us the greatest danger. It is the storm within, it is our sin within that is the biggest problem that we face. And unless man can be saved from his own sinful nature, it will surely sink him. And Jesus is that one who risked His very life, indeed gave up His very life, 
to enter into our world to save us from the loose canon of our own sin. Jesus died for you and me. And here, even at his birth, we see the angel announcing why he came, so that all might know. Jesus is also unique in his person, and we see that in verses 22 to 25. Matthew tells us that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the first of 47 passages from the Old Testament that Matthew will apply to Jesus Christ. That's amazing. I mean, Matthew, as we were talking about, wrote to a Jewish audience. He wanted them to understand how Jesus was the Messiah and came in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And so in his one Gospel, there are over 47 references to Jesus in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years again before he was born. What I appreciate about Christianity is that it invites us to examine the evidence. I mean, if you're here tonight, you know, and you have questions about that or you're skeptical about it, you can go and you can read the record that was written here. That what Matthew wrote, I mean, he knows he is asking us to believe something very incredible happened that night. That God became a man. But there are reasons to believe and he lays out the evidence and he gives us the witness of eyewitnesses who saw and heard and testify to all of these things. And you can go back and you can look at the Old Testament books that spoke about his birth and see how they are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The story that Matthew tells here is not told in some fanciful way like the Greek mythology. It's not written in some kind of extreme way like the Gnostic Gospels that embellish or exaggerate these events. It is rooted in history and it is supported by the testimony of those who saw it. It is so incredible that either it is true and everything makes sense or it is false and nothing makes sense. And I would urge you, if you have never done so before, to take a look at the evidence that is here in the Scriptures. Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not like God is with us in sort of a general abstract way, but God is with us. God literally came to dwell among us. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that night God entered into our world as a tiny baby to save us from our sins. And that is what Christmas is all about. That's why He came to be our Savior. At the beginning of my message, I mentioned the names that were given to Prince William when he was born. Prince William Arthur Philip Lewis, Prince of Wales, Duke of Cambridge but they are nothing compared to the names that have been given to Jesus. What a wonderful list of names we have for Him. The Bible is full of them. He is called the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
He is the anointed one, the Messiah. He is our prophet, our priest and king. He is our savior, the only wise God. He is our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the Lord, the almighty. But above all, he is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Those words would wonderfully fit with Matthew's Gospel. When we come to the end of his Gospel and Jesus gives his great commission to the disciples to take this good news of salvation to the ends of the earth, he tells them that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He is the God who is with us tonight. When we open up our heart to Him and receive Him as our Savior and Lord, He comes to live within us by His Holy Spirit. Jesus is God with us. And His presence in our life is what makes all the difference in the world. How should we respond to Jesus and to His gracious invitation? Well, when I think of the individuals who were involved in the story of Jesus' birth, I think they are our example for us. We should respond in faith like Mary who believed what the angel said to her. We should respond with obedience like Joseph who heard what the angel said and heard what God asked him and he immediately obeyed. And we should respond in worship like the wise men who came to Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Have you opened your heart to Jesus? And do you know Him as your Savior and Lord? If not, I want to give you an opportunity tonight to do that. We're just quietly in your own heart. Right where you are, you could say to Jesus, Jesus, would you forgive my sin and would you come into my life to be my Savior and Lord? I want to know you better and follow your will for my life. As I pray tonight, if you'd like to pray a prayer like that, would you just quietly pray it along with me in your own heart? Let's bow together. Dear Jesus, we thank You that You came to earth to be our Savior. And tonight, if You're here and You would like to know Him as Your personal Savior too, would You just say to Him, Lord Jesus, I need You. I thank You for dying on the cross to forgive my sins. And I invite You to come into my life to forgive my sins and to be my Savior and Lord. Help me to know you better and to follow your will for my life. Jesus, thank you what you have done for all of us. Thank you for your mercy and your compassion. Thank you that you took our place when you died on the cross for our sins. And thank you that you knock at the door of our heart and you desire to have a relationship with each one of us. And for those of us who know you, Lord, the change that you have made has meant everything. And in the year coming up, in the new year ahead, Father, we want to follow you and grow closer to you. And so would you continue to lead us and guide us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.